Well, good morning, Victory Midtown. How are we doing today? Y'all doing well? Listen, let me do this because I, I recognize that when we see things like that, even for some people in the room, uh, we've been through some things like that. And so we don't take this lightly. We don't take it for granted. And it's why we're actually passionate about making sure that we're able to assist in these ways. Uh, but I also know that that can be a little bit heavy for some people. So this is what I want to do. I want us to take a big, deep breath and make sure that we're able just to kind of take in the goodness of God and then release any anxiety that may have even come or have been even triggered by that. So let's do this on three. One, two, three. Release. Let's do it one more time. One more time. Amen. Amen. One thing that I know is that when we are endeavoring to talk about the things we're talking about, even as we close out this series called Home, even what we're talking about is the Father's love. And I think this is a picture of the Father's love. And so before I jump into the message, I just want to actually just kind of bring your attention to a couple of things. Pastor Todd did a great job just sharing some things with us. But in that Christmas gift to the world, like he said, 100% of those funds, they go out between those two organizations, and we're able to be a great blessing. We have already, as a church, Victory Church Global, have already given over $300,000 in the last several weeks. So that's something to give God praise for. Yeah. Clap it up for yourself. And what we want to do, we would love to be able to actually hit the mark of at least 400000 Every year, we're able to be a tremendous blessing. So again, if the Lord is tugging on your heart, if he's prompting you, please go ahead and do that. We want to make sure that we do this in great fashion. Amen? And then one of the other things he said, this is actually the last Sunday gathering that we'll have together um, in this year. Next week is actually going to be totally online. Uh, you'll be able to spend time with your family. But this is the last Sunday gathering, which means on Friday, we want to see you. On Friday, we're going to have a great time. We want you to invite some people out. It's going to be an awesome, amazing time to celebrate Jesus. But I believe that if we can come together on this Friday, take in the weekend the right way, and then be able to rest with our family, it's going to be great. And then the last thing that I want to say before I jump in this, he said it already, but how you end a thing is how you begin a thing. And I believe how you begin a thing sustains you for the whole year. And so as he mentioned, we'll be starting the year off with our corporate fast. And I want to really implore each and every one of you, please, if you've never done a fast before, we're not saying you have to totally give up all your food. Some of us, it may need to be social media, it may need to be some associations or what have you, but we want to make sure that we join together starting on January the 2nd through the 8th, and then we're going to end on that Sunday night together uh, with a thirst service. So during the week, we're going to have prayer and fasting services every day that week, and then we're going to end on Sunday with a thirst. All right? All right, who's ready for the word? Come on. That's what I'm talking about. I'm ready for the word. So today, uh, like I said, we're going to be closing out this series called Home. And I'm excited about closing this series out because as we've been through it, what we've done, if you have not been with us, we've taken every week and we've been talking about this story that is very popularly known as the parable of the prodigal son. What we've done is we've allowed ourselves to kind of get different perspectives. Every week we talked about a different character. The first week what we did is we really kind of looked through the eyes of that familiar one, the one we hear a lot about, the one who went out, he turned up, he blew the bag, he, he, he was just bad all by himself. And then he came to himself and then he was able to go back home where his father was waiting on him. And one of the things that we've done every time that we've started there is we said, thank God that we serve a father who allows us to come back to our senses. 
Thank God that he doesn't punish us because we mess up one time. And so as we looked at that, we took the next week and we started to talk about this older brother. We called him the lost brother. And what we dealt with that week was this sin, this subtle sin of self-righteousness. Yeah, when I say that right there, you're like, is that a sin? Yes, the subtle sin of self-righteousness. When you think that what you do earns you God's good graces, when you think that you can actually judge people because you don't sin the same way that they sin, that's what we talked about. And one of the things that I mentioned is that this older brother, he found himself speaking with the dialect of entitlement. That God, if I did this, you owe me this. And we clarified the fact that God doesn't owe us anything. He's just so good that he blesses us the way that he does. Amen? And then last week, Pastor Johnson, he gave us an incredible word as he actually looked through the eyes of the one who was actually telling the story in Jesus being the good son, the good son. And what we said there is that Jesus is the way and the father is the where. What we meant by that is that when we actually come back to God, we come back through the portal of Jesus. And we're not looking at heaven as this place that we're trying to get to. We are saying that heaven is where the Father is. And so when we enter into relationship with God through, his Lord, through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we're able to connect and be at home with the Father. And as we look at this this week, I'm excited because I want to actually rehearse something that we've said every week. I don't want to leave past this statement because if you didn't get anything out of the rest of these messages, I want you to take this one statement. I want you to hide it in your heart and I want you to rehearse it. They're going to put it on the screen. It's this statement that we've said for the last several weeks. We've said, we can only get as close to God as our image of God will allow. We can only get as close to God as our image of God will allow. So what that means is how we see our relationship with the Father God totally shapes everything we do. And as we jump into this week, one of the things that I know is that we have a major challenge in the world we live in today in our personal lives. And that challenge is that so many of us, we either have a fractured view, an incomplete view, or a distorted view of the relationship of the Father in our lives. Maybe that's because you didn't have a good father here in the natural. Maybe that's because you came through some abuse. Maybe that's because you had an absent father. Even if you had a good father in the home, none of those fathers can actually match up to the great love of our father God. So as we jump in today, here it is. I want, to, I want us to pray this prayer together. It's a super deep but simple prayer that I want you to repeat after me. And I think you want to pray this even as you go throughout your week. Repeat after me. Say, Lord, give me eyes to see you. From the proper perspective. Say it one more time. Say, Lord, give me eyes to see you from the proper perspective. So today we're going to actually see this story through the proper perspective. We're going to see this story through the good father. As a matter of fact, we're calling this message today. If you're following by you version, you can go to the Bible app. All the notes are there. We are actually talking about the parable of the faithful father. The parable of the faithful father. And to do this, what we're going to do is we're going to go back to a prayer that Paul prayed for us. And this prayer that Paul prayed is the prayer that I'm praying for you as well. I told the nine o'clock service that I had the opportunity, and I do this often, I had the opportunity to come up here uh, with our son Maximus, and we prayed through this sanctuary. We prayed over this platform. We prayed even to the furthest seat in the back of this auditorium because I want to make sure that there are no impediments to us receiving the right perspective of God. 
I want to make sure that this place, and you've already probably felt it during the worship, that there's a conducive environment of grace that God wants us to feel his love before we can even understand his love. And so as we get this today, I want us to really just lean into this and really hear what God has for us. And so this prayer that Paul prayed that I'm praying for you as well is this. Ephesians 3, it says, I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Here's a part that I need you to underline, highlight, screenshot. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Let me say that one more time. That your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. I don't know about you, but when I read that scripture and when I slow down to see the essence of what God is saying, I know that I'm blessed. It's not about what I'm going to get on Christmas. It's not about what someone has to put in my bank account. I know I'm blessed when I'm able to have this truth. And this entire year, what we've been talking about is the fact that we want to be healed from the inside out. We want to make sure that we are complete because you can't actually reproduce something that you're incomplete in. Next year, we're going to be on the move. We're going to be doing great things for God. But we wanted to take some time to make sure that we are healed and we are complete. And the only way that you can actually become complete is that you have to be rooted in love. Right there where you're sitting, just kind of put your feet in the, seat, in the, in the ground a little bit. Say, I'm rooted. I'm rooted in love. God wants us to be rooted in love because when we look at this in Ephesians chapter 3, we want to understand the height. We want to understand the depth. We want to understand the width of this love that comes from Jesus. And I don't know about you, but as I've been reading over this story several times over the last several weeks, when I read this, I can't help but see myself in both parts of these brothers' lives. I can't help, if I'm honest, to see myself as at one time I was lost, but now I'm found. At one time, while everything was actually in the right order, I stepped out of God's grace to actually do my own thing. This older brother, at, there have been times where I thought that because I was saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Spirit, that now I could look at other people because they weren't sinning the same way I was sinning. At one time, I remember feeling like the right things I do should actually warrant something from God. But as we look at this, we know that that's not the truth. We know that God's grace is sufficient. And I could see myself, like this young son, coming from a far way off, coming home, feeling like I'm going to be actually looked down upon. But what I love about this story is that we have a faithful father who actually interrupts our rationale and he imputes his reality. We have a faithful father that as he sees us actually condemning ourselves, he interrupts what we think should happen to us, and he says, this is my reality. You are loved. And you're going to hear me say it multiple times today that the Lord loves you. Because so many times what we do is we find ourselves in a world that gives us different pictures of the love of God or different pictures of what love is, and we want to tap into the true essence of his love. Somebody say, I am loved. Here it is. This entire series has been about trying to get into the rest and the life of God through his love. 
And when we grab this, again, I want us to pray that prayer one more time because I want you to hear with spiritual ears today. So you're going to hear me say it a few more times. Say it with me. Say, Lord, let me see you from the proper perspective. With that prayer being at the top of our hearts, I want to just walk us through a couple things and show us what the Father was trying to teach us through this parable from Jesus. The first thing that the Father was trying to teach us from this parable was this, that the Father's love initiates. The Father's love initiates, means he makes the first move. He's not waiting on you to get in the right position. He's not waiting on your attitude to get right. He's not waiting on you even to have an epiphany that you need him. He makes the first move. And so as I was thinking about this message, I could give you so many examples now because if you didn't know, if you're new around here, Kendra and I were new parents to a little baby boy. So there are so many stories that I can say about being an initiator of love to someone who couldn't do anything back. But I said, let me kind of turn this a little bit. Let me, let me get real for a minute. Let me get real, real for a minute. So I was thinking about this and I said, hmm, how would that actually make them understand this? This is, this is what I thought. I said, there are times where it doesn't happen a whole lot, but there are times when my wife, my wonderful, beautiful, amazing, anointed wife over here, and I, we get into passionate discussions of varying opinions, <laughs> a.k.a. a little argument, a.k.a. we're not on the same page. And when that happens, you know, there are times, if, you, if this ever ha- have happened to you before, even if you live in a big house or if you live in a small quarters, it seems like the walls just shrink in on you. You know, you used to be able to yell that person's name from across the room. Now it's like you can't get away from them. And so what happens is that there are times where we have these passionate discussions of varying opinions, and I have my thoughts and she has her thoughts, and we're at an impasse. And so in those moments, there are moments like where we're walking around the house and, you know, you kind of look at the other person like, you all right? I'm all right. You going to say something? No, I ain't going to say nothing. You need to say something. You was wrong. And so what happens to us, and, you know, I I said it a little different in the 9 o'clock service because she wasn't sitting right here. (laughs) But y'all just give me grace. I'm going to turn myself this way right here. We talk about the Father's love initiating. And one of the practices that we have made in our marriage over the years is that there are times where we, our words can't express where we really are. Our words can't express that we're really sorry. Our words can't express that we want the other person to really understand that we actually love them. So what we do is that one of them, and a lot of times it's me, (laughs) one of us will initiate this action. What we do is instead of trying to talk it out and trying to make the other person understand, we go to the other person and just put our arms around the other person. And when we put our arms around each other, what happens is that I can hear, she can hear, she can hear my heart settle. She can feel peace come upon me. What we're doing, not with our words, but with our action, is that we're saying, I love you and I care for you. What we're saying with our actions that actually speak louder than our words is that you are safe here. What we're doing as we actually embrace each other and throw our arms without trying to rationalize through it and say anything that we're upset about does not compare to the love and the peace that we find right here being home. And so when I look at this story and I actually think about what God has done and how he talks about this son coming back home and he's away, a long way off and he comes home and now his father throws his arms around him, I can relate to that. 
Because many times what we do is we try to rationalize through something when God is just saying, I have my arms around you. You are safe here. You are at rest. And so I want to say in the spirit right now that even if you're going through something, even if there are things that you don't understand, even if you know you messed up really bad, God is saying, you don't have to talk. You're welcome home. So as we look at this, here it is. Home is where the heart is. Home is where the father is. And what happens is that if we don't initiate this type of uh, understanding in our lives, we will never really be able to grasp what God has already said about us through his initiating love. Here it is. In the story, there's a plot twist because what happens is that I could imagine this son coming back, feeling like he's getting ready to be torn down, feeling like the father is going to rebuke him. But what happens in verse 20 of uh, chapter 15, it says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son. We talked about it. The fathers didn't run at that time. So he was saying, I don't care how I look. I'm going to actually throw my arms around you and kiss you because you're home. What he was saying is that the, as the son was looking to be hurt when he came back, he actually found a hug. And God wants you to know, even if you feel like I'm judging you, I'm hugging you in the spirit, even in this service at Victory Midtown right now, letting you know that you are welcome here and you are home because I love you. As we think about love, the challenge is that the English language only really gives us like one definition of love. But the great thing is when we read the Bible, we're actually see, able to see that there's a breakdown. Even in the Greek, they give us so many different expressions of love. And I just want to share those with you real quick. Number one, one of the first Greek words for love is phileo. Phileo. This is a friendly type of love. This is where you say, I'm a really good friend, that we share our hopes and dreams. Even where you know the word Philadelphia, the city Philadelphia, you hear that it's the place of brotherly love, it's phileo. Number two, you have this type of love called eros. Eros. This is what it sounds like. This is the physical, sexual side of love, where it literally means to fondle. All the married folks say amen. <laughs> the challenge is the world has taken this, which was actually created in God's image, but has created this for us to connect, but has now perverted it. And what we do is we actually find ourselves leaning more into the eros than we do the agape. And agape is that next one. What this means is this is not a physical thing. This is not just about romance. This is a committed love. Somebody say committed love. This is a committed love where even the Bible says Jesus says, I have so loved the world. I so agape the world. I was so committed to the world that I gave my life. I was so committed that there was nothing that can hold me back from actually sacrificing for you. 1 John 4.16 says, God is love. God is agape. God is committed. God is passionate about that. But the challenge that we see a lot of times when we even think about this is that our definition of love a lot of times keeps us from actually experiencing real love. Because what we find, if you're, if you're really honest, we have a lot more people Oversexing and undercommitting. We live in a world that's oversexualized and undercommitted because we're only thinking about eros when God is saying, the type of love that I'm trying to express to you is agape, is committed. 
Society has created a narrative that, hey, if you don't agree with my lifestyle, if you don't actually just allow me to be how I feel like I want to be, that you're against them. But here is what the Bible quantifies as love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says it like this in verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not, watch this, self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. When I read that, what I said to myself was that here's what love does. Love is forgiving. It's waiting. It's always looking and running after you. Love is forgiving. It's waiting. It's always looking, and it's always running after you. Love is forgiving. Love is waiting, it's always looking for you, and it's running after you. So no matter what you think about love, God is saying, this is the type of love that I want you to experience. Because real love is evident that he loves you. Real love is evident because he sent his son, Jesus. Real love is evident because he wants you to know, no matter what, I keep saying it, he created you to love him. Watch this. Romans 5 and 8 says it like this. God demonstrates his own love, his own agape, his own commitment for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I want to slow down and say something real quick. We've been, we've been saying this statement all year saying, you were made for something great. You were made for something great. Now, that sounds good, and hopefully we receive it and we understand it. But have you ever asked yourself, why was I made? And when we look at this, what happens is that if we're not careful, we will misalign why we were actually made trying to prove something to God even still. God did not make us, I want to give you a news flash, he did not make you to love him. You might be like, well, what do you, what do you mean like that? You just kind of said he wants us to love No, he didn't create you to love him. He didn't need another person to come love him. He was already the sustainer of all things. God didn't even make us to obey him. Because if you don't obey him, he's still all-knowing. He didn't even make us to worship him. Here's what I want you to know. Come on, this is a simple truth, but I need you to lean in on this one. Come on, lean in. That back seat back there, come on, lean in. I see you. The reason that God created us was to love us. Yeah, everybody's like, what what do you mean? (laughs) The reason why God created you was to love you. Let's let's just put it right there. Let's put a pin on it. We we run past this stuff so much. I don't want to rush past this truth. Because if we rush past this truth, you will forever try to live out your worth, not knowing that if you do nothing else, he still loves you. So in knowing that he actually created you to love you, what we need to grab is that you can't do anything to earn it. You can't do anything because he initiated this greatness that he wants to come through you through his love. Why? Because he loves you. So I went through all that, and I want to give you the second thing that the Father's love does. The Father's love imparts. It imparts. What is impartation? Impartation is where you give or bestow or communicate or grant a part of something. But what I want to say is I want to go back and even read Luke 15 in the Passion Translation because it kind of tells us why and how the Father's love imparted. It says it like this. It says, so the young man set off for home. 
from a long distance away. His father saw him coming, dressed as a beggar, and great compassion swelled up in his heart for his son who was returning home. The father raced out to meet him, swept him up in his arms, hugged him dearly, and kissed him over and over and over with tender love. The son said, Father, I was wrong. I have sinned against you. I could never deserve to be called your son. Just let me be. Here's something important. The father interrupted him and said, Son, you're home now. Turning to his servants, the father said, Quick, bring me the best robe, my very own robe, and I will place it on his shoulders. Bring me the ring, the seal of sonship, and I will put it on his finger. And bring out the best shoes. You can find from my son. Let's prepare a great feast and celebrate. For my beloved son was once dead, but now he's alive. He was once lost, but now he is found. And everyone celebrated with overflowing joy. I said that impartation is where you bestow or communicate by giving something. And what the father was communicating by bestowing these things is significance that the son was a part of the family. What he did, even when he actually talked about the robe, it said they didn't, he didn't go get a robe in the side of the closet. He said, bring the best robe. Bring my robe. Watch this. He didn't say, well, I know you just came from all those pigs. I know you came from outside. Go in there and take a shower. Rinse off a little bit before I give you these nice clothes. No, right there, he wanted them to know, even by symbolism, even when you make your bed in hell, I cover you in my righteousness. This robe represented the righteousness of Christ, understanding that we are clothed because of the, the salvation gift of Jesus that we're able to be forgiven. What it says right here is that he now is so clothed that when people see him, they know that he is now founded and dressed in righteousness. I saw it like this in my mind. Like he went to that celebration. He stepped out on the red carpet. and They said, what are you wearing today? He said, I'm wearing righteousness by Yahweh. He was clothed in righteousness, and he knew it. The next thing that it talks about right here, it talks about the ring on his finger. The ring on his finger. This ring was a solid gold ring, and it had a crest on it. And what this did is it actually allowed them to give his signature. And in giving his signature, his signature was giving him the reminder that he had authority of the family. I said this earlier, but even when I do weddings, I talk about wedding rings, that they're really not just for people to see. A lot of times, wedding rings are something that if you ever are sitting alone, you kind of do this right here because it reminds you of the covenant you made. It reminds you of your identity. When someone tries to give you that side eye and they're trying to see if you're interested, you remind yourself <laughs> that you are in alignment with your spouse. It connotes authority, and it reminds you of who you are. The sandals on his feet. See, these were luxury back then. This was not just some, some little shoes that they found on the side. They were Louboutins. They were Pradas. You know, they were Ferragamo, whatever. He said, bring the best shoes for my son, because watch this. Slaves didn't have shoes. Servants didn't have shoes. Hired people didn't have shoes. You only had shoes if you were a part of the family and if you were going somewhere. And so what he was saying is that even though my son, he got lost, now I want him to be reminded by these best shoes that every step he takes, that he's covered in the blood of Jesus. That every step he takes, he's now in righteousness. That every step he takes, he steps in the family bloodline. He wants us to know that we are founded from the ground up. And then he said, he celebrated with a feast. See, meat was a hot commodity back there because everybody didn't have it. 
And so what a family would do is they would raise up and save up and actually make sure that they didn't just use and break out the meat for any old other thing. These calves, these, these, these cows, they were built and raised up so that they could celebrate at some appointed time. And what he said is that I want to make sure that he knows so much that I'm willing to actually in a moment give what it's taken me years to cultivate. They celebrated. They celebrated. And they were dancing in this home. Zephaniah 3, 17 says it like this, For the Lord your God is among you. He is a mighty warrior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Why is he rejoicing? Because he loves you. He's not rejoicing because you did everything right. And this is what he didn't do. Listen to this. He didn't say, okay, son, I know you've been gone for this many days, this many months, so I'm going to kind of ration these things out. I'm going to put you on probation. You know, you showed me this, I'm going to give you the robe. You showed me you can, you can actually uh, take this, now I'll give you the ring. No, immediately when the son came back, he became back in the family. God is saying to somebody in the room, I don't care how far you think you fell off. Immediately when you come back, he's saying you're a son. Immediately when you come back, he's saying you're redeemed. Immediately when you come back and say, Father, I am here and I'm accepting Jesus, you are now founded and fully dressed. Why? Because he loved you. Y'all going to get tired of hearing me saying that today. He loves you. So as we look at this, here it is. Jesus, he became what we were so that we can become who he is. What do I mean by that? He became sin for us so that we can become a part of the family just like he is. So for all those who thought they were on the outskirts, God is saying, welcome home. You can come right on in here. Because here's a reminder. We're not sons by behavior. We're sons by inheritance. We're not sons by what we do. We are sons because now God has given us that as a birthright. This is, I'm pausing for a moment because a lot of times we run past this. And one of the things that we need to be reminded of even in this story where it says that everything you have belongs to, everything I have belongs to you. And so in the story, what the father is trying to tell both the son who left and the one who stayed, no matter where you find yourself, you have full access to everything that I have. Say this with me. Say, I have full access to everything in God. One more time. Say, I have full access to everything in God. Which leads me to the last thing that the Father's love is trying to teach us in this. And it's that the Father's love reconciles. The Father's love reconciles. So you may be saying, yes, I I know that the Father's love reconciles, but what we're not just talking about is that the Father's love reconciles, you know, the Son to the Father. What we also need to know is that the Father's love is created to actually reconcile brothers and sisters to each other. See, Pastor Johnson talked last week about how the actual role of the older son was really that when someone stepped out of line, that they were actually to be the intermediary to actually bring the younger family back together with the parents. And so what we want to do, even as we're walking through this time, I don't want anyone to be left behind. I said this in the very first message of the year this year, that this is a year where I believe God will leave no one behind. So God is not leaving anybody behind, but we have to play our part that when we see someone falling off, when we see someone out on the outskirts, we have to be able to say, hey, you are still welcome here. See, during this time, and I'm going to talk directly to those who are watching online right now, during this time, some of us, even watching right now, 
You got comfortable at home because you feel like, well, nobody's going to judge me. Nobody can see me. I'm not worth coming back, but I want to let you know that you are still welcome home. Online service, it was first created to be a bridge, not a destination. And so even people in the room and those watching online, you know some people who know they need to be back in the household of faith. While this is our last Sunday in the building this year, this upcoming Friday is an opportunity for us to bring some people back. To bring some people back and say, I know you probably messed up all of COVID. Say, COVID was a killer. For some, literally and just spiritually. But what we're saying right now is that God is the great redeemer. Jesus is the great reconciler. And now it's time to come home. And so the way I want to even just close this service today is, one, reminding you that it's not just about God reconciling us to him. It's about us being reconciled to each other. One of the greatest things that I love to see is online when I see members of here at Victory Midtown, you're out together having a good time connecting with each other because we're seeing that we all need each other. But there's a story that we were talking about earlier this week, and this pastor, Doug Sauter out of Orlando, he, he has this huge foster care program. And him and his family, what they did is they actually said, okay, we're going to adopt some children. And they, they adopted two children that were living with HIV. And they didn't adopt them all at the same time. They went and they got the first one and they were able to show him love and show him all types of great things and actually allow him to get comfortable. And then about two or three years later, what happened, they went back for this other son. And when they got this son, the story says that they were driving home. It was a little bit of an awkward silence. They didn't kind of know how this was going to go when they got home because it's hard enough acclimating one person to a new environment. And when they pulled up into the driveway, what happened is that the son who had been with them already looked over to the other one and said, welcome home. He looked at him and said, you're going to love it here because our parents love us. I'm here to tell somebody you might not be in that situation But I want to let you know, as that older son, to be able to say, in God's presence, you're going to love it here. In God's presence, you might not have it all together, but you can come home. In God's presence, even when you think that you're not worthy, no, none of us are worthy by our own actions, but you are worthy because God said you're worthy and he made you to love you. And so this is what I want to let you know. I'm going to say it until you get it in your spirit. He loves you. We're doing this whole series. We're walking through all this stuff because he loves you. This is not something for us just to go and just kind of go through the motions and have another church service. I want you to know without a shadow of a doubt that God loves you. He loves you even in your deficiencies. He loves you even when you can't get it all together. I want you to know he loves you. For some of y'all, this is very uncomfortable because no one has shown you pure love before. But God wants you to know whether you're in the front or in the back that he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He did not create you to do something for him. He created you to love you. Let that sink in for a moment. He loves you. He loves you. Sometimes we get so hype and we let the music blare and we let all the things get in the way, but I want you to know that he loves you. I want you to receive it and take it in and know, I don't care if you did something this morning, he loves you. 
So this is what I want to do. I want to pray for you right now. I want you to bow your heads for a moment. It was so important for us to close the year with this type of message and this type of series because we won't be able to go into the new year the right way unless we have this settled. And Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray right now over every hero, over every person under the sound of my voice right now, I pray that we understand the width, the depth, the length that you will go to love us. I pray that even when we mess up, that we will know that that did not disqualify us. I pray that we will understand that even when we find ourselves in a far off country, both in proximity and in spirit, that you still love us. Father, my prayer right now is that we won't be people who are just reconciled to you, but we will bring other people with us so that they can also be reconciled to you and we can be reconciled to each other because you love us. You love us. You love us. You love us. Right there where you are, say, he loves me. He loves me. He loves me. I don't care if you don't feel it right now. I know this is even to the extreme, but even if you don't feel it, say, he loves me. And because you love us, God, we respond in gratitude. Would every head continue to be bowed? This is what I want to do. If you heard this message today and you say, I know that I've been self-checked. I know that I've been keeping myself out of home with the Father. But today I want to actually walk through that door with Jesus being my Lord and Savior. And I want to end this year right and I want to start next year the right way. And I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to give my life to the Lord. If that's you in this room, why don't you just lift one of your hands while every head is bowed? See those hands. Repeat this prayer after me. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for being the door. Thank you for dying on the cross for me that my life can be made new. Today I repent, which means I turn from my way of doing things and I accept and go your way. Heavenly Father, thank you for welcoming me home. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, this is how we're going to close this service today. For the last several weeks, we've talked about different perspectives of coming home and the prodigal. But in this next moment, I just want you to receive, and we're going to take a moment and actually see this story played out. And what I want you to do is kind of start to think about where you might be in this story. If you are that younger, that older, but no matter where you find yourself, I want you to know that you are welcome home. Let's receive what God has for us.